welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we talk to students, educators, and thought leaders who are innovators and creatives in education. I'm your host, Tanya Sheckley. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, everyone. Today, I am speaking with Denise Daniels and Andrew Raven. Denise and Andrew are co-founders of Workshop Middle School. Denise has more than 22 years of experience in education as a teacher, staff developer, curriculum designer, instructional coach, and school leader. She believes in creating opportunities to discover meaning through play in the real world and connecting to the joy of learning. Andrew has worked in community and social services in New York and Chicago for more than 15 years. He worked in the New York City public schools, including 10 years as a classroom teacher, five as a lead teacher or literacy coach, and three years in school leadership. He is an award-winning student, teacher, and mentor. Recently, he was named one of the top 100 innovators in American education. He's also co-founder of Innovative Schools Cooperative. So welcome, Denise and Andrew. Thanks Thanks for for having having us. You know, Andrew, we got a chance to connect a couple of months ago and hear a little bit about the work that you're doing at Workshop Middle. And so I'm really excited to have this conversation with both of you and hear more about the school, more about your journey of getting started, and more about the problem you're looking to solve with opening a new school. So let's start there. What was the challenge in education and specifically middle school education that led you to co-found a school? So there is a tremendous amount of investment in early childhood education. And it's important and it matters because those early years have a dramatic impact on outcomes in later years, right? The challenge is is that too often we're building a bridge to nowhere. And as we get to kind of those middle grade years, starting in around fifth grade, student achievement and commitment to school drops off a cliff. Student book scores go way down and student attitudes about school become way more negative. The problem really is, is that this is the second early childhood. Early adolescence is an absolutely important time when our brains and our bodies are still doing major development. So if we miss this time, we miss out on the second huge portal for students to achieve their dreams later in life. Additionally, there's a lot of development going into making high schools everything that they can be, right? Because that's right before you go to college. The challenge is because of this like drop in achievement and drop in school investment, sometimes it's too high a gap to traverse when you're getting into high school to then get ready for college or career readiness. And so we thought, hmm, there's an opportunity here. And to bring two things together. New York City schools, believe it or not, were recognized as the most segregated urban school district in the United States. And one of the problems is that in public schools, it's hard to change that because where we live is so deeply connected to where we go to school. And there's some high school choice in New York City, but that choice ultimately breaks down based on socioeconomic status as well. And so one of our goals by going independent was being able to build a truly innovative school that 
re- in real terms, address issues of diversity and equity. It also allowed us to really be creative about how we were addressing some of these large problems that we were recognizing, namely the lack of achievement, the lack of connection to schools, really even the lack of feeling safe in middle school. Most people come to the middle school experience with their own experiences, often of surviving this time, not necessarily thriving. And we thought we could do better. Yeah, I remember surviving middle school. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's something that is definitely dear to me right now is I have a fifth grader and I'm in this chasm of where do we go to middle school and what does that look like? And, you know, I find there's K to eight schools where they've included middle school kind of because there's this drop off and where do they go? And then I'm realizing that, you know, there's no like six to 12 schools, really. So middle school is kind of this no man's land of this three years of how do we serve these needs through this huge growth period and really make it, like you said, make it not only survival, but how do we thrive and how do we continue to build skills so that we can be really successful in high school and beyond? So there's a whole hidden history of middle schools. The first junior high school started actually around the 1900s because there was this weird cooperation between unions, you know, burgeoning companies in the Industrial Revolution and a large influx of immigrants into the United States. And so there's kind of these forces kind of anti-child labor, right? And now what do we do with all of these kids? And at that time, there wasn't really the establishment of required schooling that was just accepted countrywide. And so there started to be this idea that maybe there was this point in time pre-high school, which was like old uh, university preparation at the time, and like post third, fourth grade, which was just simple rudimentary, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic. Right then around the 60s and 70s, there became what's called the middle school concept, which was this idea, okay, we have these, this age group, let's lean into it. The problem is that our system isn't built to be able to adapt to what middle schoolers really need smaller environments, we say being seen and being heard. And when you're in schools, 500, 1,000, 1,500 people, it's very hard to safely and successfully go through all of these experiments, all of these changes, all these ideas at this time. I think that part's not relegated to New York City at all. Unfortunately, that middle school, you know, tough time is at the very least countrywide. We think it's exciting that not only were we able to start a school, but we're also able to restart the conversation about how we do middle school. Quite frankly, you know, we are doing things that in very small doses can happen anywhere, right? It doesn't just have to be all things aligned, all magical things show up at the door as a gift handed to you, bow tied. It doesn't work that way. So there are many ways that you can begin to do small things that can change. Even as a period, you can ask your middle schools, hey, are you doing this? Hey, are you doing that? Because again, our idea is not just to have this school, but to have this school be a conversation starter. Yeah. And, you know, definitely when we look at the size of schools and trying to create safety and trying to allow students to be seen and heard, like that's something that all of us need as humans, right? We want to be seen. We want to be heard. We need to feel that we belong. And definitely in that stage of middle school where in a lot of ways we're still becoming humans, right? (laughs) 
Like that's even more necessary in ways to find your voice and ways to find your opinion and ways to find those things where your strengths and challenges are. And that's a, such a great time to do it. But I'd love to talk more about the diversity of your school. This is something that I think often independent schools are known for. You have to pay tuition. You get the high socioeconomic level. Like, how are you blending in the diversity of New York City and, you know, the area where you are and making sure that you hit those goals? Well, we're very much committed to this idea of right fit, right? And so this idea that if this school is for you, then we find a way to work with you. Because the other thing that we recognize is that while there is a cost, we feel like there needs to be a way to kind of level that field a little bit. Because again, sometimes it has nothing to do with all these other indicators, right? It might just be the cost. And so there's ways to help make sure that we kind of offset that cost. And so we have financial aid packages. We make sure that we are communicating and recruiting from wide, wide fields so that we're making sure that we're having a conversation. When we're in the room, we all do better when there's more voices in the room. So we really make a concerted effort to make sure that there are more voices in the room. So it starts with this basic idea that Denise is closing with, which is that everybody's better when everyone's together, that all students benefit from an education where they learn with other students and teachers from different backgrounds with different experiences. It's not only for one specific population. It benefits all students. And if you look at research, diverse and integrated classrooms at schools outperform highly segregated classrooms and schools. It just works. Here's the problem. It's bad business, right? And the real reason I think in some ways that say late 20th century, early 21st century independent schools are so segregated is because it's easier to kind of continue with the stream, right? It's easier to continue accepting full tuition families because full tuition families make such a significant difference on the bottom line. So what we wanted to do was take a step back and make the argument that this is better for student outcomes. Once we were able to do that, once we're able to kind of marshal that research, there's a lot of money that goes into education. There are a lot of people, individuals, foundations, and so on, who are interested in more progressive, more integrative education who want schools to be drivers of social change. And so it is, it is true that you can't just open up shop and expect to kind of hit the, you know, make sure the bottom line matches. And that's, I think, where it comes from. So we did need to raise money. But at the end of the day, we also want to say higher academic outcomes with more cost-efficient services. That means as a micro school, we have a slimmer bureaucracy. Everyone on our team wears all sorts of hats and we don't have a lot of waste. And so I'd say those are the kind of the different parts. One, needed to raise money and two, slimmer operational hierarchy. Yeah, I can definitely relate to slimmer operational hierarchy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, as a micro school leader, I, I hear that loud and clear. Yes. And it's one of the things, you know, when we look at some of our really large public schools and we look at how can we make change there and how can we bring some of the innovative ideas so that benefits students everywhere. You know, that's one of the things that I like to talk about is how do we break down these big schools 
if we've got a school of 600 students, how do we turn that into six micro schools of 100 students and make all of the bureaucracy slimmer and give all of these students a chance to really be heard in their smaller community? I think it's a really interesting idea. Absolutely. You know, I think part of our perspective is we simply think that all families should have more choices. Our goal is to allow all families and all communities the options to choose micro schools if they're interested. When I started kind of thinking about this, I'll be honest that I believed that micro schools were for everybody. How I think about it now is that families should simply have options to access schools like this because there are different families with different solutions. And I don't want to argue at the end of the day that our solution is the right solution in the same way that big box solutions are the right solutions for everybody or for, you know, made to be the right solutions for everybody. Now, I simply want people to understand that it can be more than what exists right now. It doesn't only have to be the way you thought about it. Additionally, I just wanted to add here that just because we've always done something some way doesn't mean we have to keep doing it that way, right? And so being willing to find places to improve, right? Innovation often starts as kind of a solution to one tiny thing. And so really being willing to find spots where you're, you know, just solving this one part, solving this one part, solving this one part, because the biggest thing is making sure that indeed all students are seen and heard, that all students are doing well so that they can do well, and that there is a place for students to actually do real work that's meant for the real world, right? It should, it's not worksheets. It's not, you know, like, hey, drill and kill. It's like really taking this learning on now, right? You shouldn't wait till college before we flex our superpowers, as I like to say. Yes. So tell me more about that. I know you mentioned a little while ago, you know, there were things that you were doing that schools and parents and families, you know, all around the world could take in and just these little things and little changes that you've done to start incrementally. So what are some of those things and what are some of the ways that you've been intentionally designed differently to really support middle schoolers? And how can other schools or other parents, you know, start to implement some of those ideas also? One of the biggest things is recognizing that this is a time period like we said, another early childhood, right? It's a time of tremendous growth, tremendous change. And so we want to make sure that we are um, leveraging that, right? And so we're creating spaces for that to happen. So while we um, recognize that the adolescent brain isn't awake at 7.30 in the morning, we actually start school at 9 a.m. Things like making sure that students have a place to speak about what's going on inside so that they can actually have space to do the academics. And so we have dedicated time for social emotional learning where we have community meetings and we have almost two hours every day where it's dedicated just to that, right? Making sure that kids are okay, right? And so we want to make sure that they are, you're creating spaces for that. And the ways to do that, I, I always like to say there are three ways to do that. Oftentimes, you know, you're usually reaching this point and you're getting to frustration. And so I often say, take a second and listen again, right? You probably have a dream. Oh, it'd be great if the school did this, or it'd be great if my child had this. And so take the time to actually listen. Sometimes it's a whisper, right? And so listen again, dream again. Um, the other thing is find one thing, find one thing in that dream that you want to try. And the third thing I always say is find a partner, 
It can be a thought partner. It can be someone who's willing to be a co-conspirator, if you will. And those are the ways you can just take really small steps to make really big changes. So a few micro things that we try to do on a day-to-day basis are number one, you can judge a school's values by their school program. So what does their daily schedule look like? So schools can talk about things like, oh, we care about socio-emotional learning. You know, what Denise is saying is we have a half an hour every morning for a community meeting. We have a half an hour at the end of the day for a community meeting. And there's roughly an hour every day for advisors. So it is important to set time to your values. And if you're a teacher in a classroom, it might look like, let me set the first 10 minutes or the last 10 minutes of my class to do this. If, the, if this is something I believe in, I need to set time to do this. Number two, middle schoolers are able to understand more complex and abstract ideas, but they struggle to really process them in meaningful ways. So we do all our work through hands-on projects. It helps make those more complicated ideas, more concrete and tangible. So middle schoolers never really have to say, wait, why am I doing this? Why am I learning this? They know, oh, it's because we're building a house. Oh, that's why we're learning geometry. Third thing is a lot of middle schoolers struggle with executive function. And it's not simply students who have ADD or ADHD, though that's also true. Um, middle schoolers are all over the place. So it's working with them on simple tools like to-do lists and calendars to help them understand how deadlines work so that they can kind of visualize the work that they have to do. One thing we've started doing this year is this thing called time boxing. So as opposed to saying, I have to do this thing that's due by Friday, it's figuring out between Monday and Friday, what are the specific times I'm going to work on those specific things? Just really helpful for young people to be able to ground those things. And then finally, small size. It's the number one thing that's going to allow young people to make mistakes and learn from them, right? This idea that they're able to grow without risk of failure, which makes me think of we don't have traditional grades. That's another thing that's really important, I think, at this age. So it's really just about growth. It's not about, oh, you failed this test, therefore you get a bad grade. Um, just to clarify, we do give students feedback, right? Some people hear that we don't give grades. They're like, do they play in the jungle gym all day? No. <laughs> There's a distinction between assessment and feedback. And oftentimes students, when they get the kind of information that does help them grow, they often are looking for the grade and then they toss it out. So then the lessons go with it. And so we kind of distinctly separate the two. So they do get assessment. But um, the feedback is really designed to help them monitor their learning and help them grow just so that they're not looking for the 90 or the, you know, or the A and then just throwing the, the actual assignment away. I'm sorry. I just wanted to clarify that part. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> for just a moment, I saw, you know, students running all over, just playing on the jungle gym all day. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so when parents are looking at your school, what's one of the top questions that they ask? I know for us, it's always, okay, so this all sounds great. We love project-based learning. We love your take on assessment. We love there's no homework, but how do kids get into middle school? Like, that's what we're always asked. So what is, you know, what are parents asking when they come look at something that's as different and unique as Workshop Middle? Yeah, so a number one question we often get is, this sounds perfect for my child. Oh my goodness, I can see my child blooming in your community. 
what happens when they leave? And so we often get that conversation, like how does it work after they've become accustomed to this type of environment? They learn to grow, really begin working harder than they've ever worked, honestly. And what we often help them understand is that when you have a student who understands themselves as a learner, they're basically able to learn in any environment because they know what they need and they can advocate for themselves. Additionally, they usually are going deeper and further than most classes. So they usually wind up in more advanced classes going into high school. And so it's really exciting to see parents begin to wrap their head around it because many parents often are approaching the admissions process from their own vantage point, not necessarily recognizing like, oh, there might be another pathway for my child that was distinctly different than my own. And so often it's just really helping them see that taking the time to actually bloom in an environment, if it's the right fit, then it's possible to go back if it works for the family to a more traditional school and they would actually thrive. I think Denise is exactly right. I think one thing I want parents to know as well is traditional schools are working. And so it's really not a question of, oh, okay, well, this food is great. Why would I want to try this food out? The problem is, is that so many of our students, first of all, get lost in middle school. So before you start thinking about, you know, their careers in their late 20s, Let's work back a little bit because 70% of students say that on a daily basis, their biggest struggle is anxiety and depression during middle school. Negative behaviors go off. I hate to say it. Suicide goes way up. It's a tough time. And so I don't want us only to think about what happens later because we need to win the game right now. And too many of our kids get lost during this time. So I agree 100% with everything Denise is saying. It's true. Our students will be ready in all these ways, but let's take a step back and make sure they're ready. Thank you. So one of the questions that I love to ask all of my guests, because I run an elementary school, is if you can share a story from your elementary school years. So something that stands out back in those years, you know, kinder through fifth grade, might be a teacher, it might be a project, it might be a field trip, but if you can share a story of something you remember from elementary school. I remember my elementary school librarian. She made the library a place of enchantment. I mean, I will never forget loving spending so much time during the year that I gave up my summers to help her redecorate for every subsequent school year. And I remember one year we were stringing up uh, eggshells to hang from the ceiling. I can't remember what the actual outcome was. I just remember breaking so many eggshells and she was so patient. And I remember specifically over ginger snacks and lemonade, talking about our favorite books and Ricky Tiki Tembo, No Rembo, Charlie Barley, Ruchi Pip Peri Pembo was my favorite book ever. And when I tell you that to this day, I can hear her voice still reading it because she would actually read it to me every day before I went home that summer. And I, I mean, I'm getting misty just thinking about it, but I remember that's when I officially fell in love with my reader life and it helped me become such an advocate for reading. And I hope I do that for my students, that they remember me as helping them love reading that way. In full disclosure, Denise gets misty eye fairly often. So (laughs) um, when I was in third grade, 
Well, let me take a step back and say, so my mom and I are very close. I'm a mama's boy. I'm not going to lie. And normally I will let my mom know, you know, when stuff like this happens. Before I tell the story, please don't tell my mom because I don't think that she even knows. When I was in third grade, I disliked school so much because there was a group of students who were not nice to me, let's say. And so I faked um, having a headache and missed about four months of school. And my mom was obviously like at her wit's end, what's going on? The doctors were trying this, that, and the other. And I think that, it, and the truth was, I never had a headache. I mean, maybe I had a headache for the first day or something. I don't, I don't remember that. Maybe I just extended it. But that the lives of our kids are so intimately connected with their emotions, you know, and emotions for young people run so deep that even something that might not seem like it hurts an older person, for someone in elementary school or middle school can really deeply affect our lives, right? And I just always try to remember stuff like that because the truth is I can be a little bit strict sometimes. I think it matters to challenge kids, but if that challenge isn't balanced with love, if that challenge isn't balanced with security and safety, it's just me. So you do know that this is a podcast and your mom is going to hear this, right? That, that's, that's okay. We'll see. we'll see how big it gets. We'll see. <laughs> I will send the link myself. No, I'm just <laughs> How did you end up getting back into school? At some point, there was a doctor who called my bluff. We ended up going to the Mayo Clinic which was not where we lived. It's in Minnesota and I'm from Chicago. It was kind of like renowned as the place for, you know, to figure things out. And the doctor was like, honestly, I, I don't think anything's going on. Like we've tried, we tried A, B, and C. And then I can't, again, I can't remember the story, all the details exactly, but it was, I'm going to say within 24, 48 hours, the headache had disappeared, you know, and I was back in school. Yeah, that was a real thing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And thank you, Denise. I love the librarian story. And I'm picturing an enchanted library. I'm sure it was amazing. That's where I wanted to spend all of my recess time when I was a kid. Is I would gladly give up recess if I could go sit and immerse myself in a book. So thank you both. How can people get in touch with you? We're happy to be in touch with anyone. Um, we're about that life. So, you know, if there are other educators who want to reach out, um, we're happy to respond. I believe that it's an example of high productivity when people stay in communication with each other. And at the end of the day, we're open source. Who we are and what we do, we want these ideas to spread. So if you reach out to either of us, Andrew or Denise at workshopmiddleschool.org, we're happy to be in conversation with you. And sometimes it might just, you know, you've dreamed, you've figured out your first step, you have your co-conspirator, and then you're like, I just need a pep talk. Good, go ahead and reach out. Um, we will happily be willing to meet with you, talk with you, um, support you, cheerlead, because the goal is to uh, start a revolution in middle school. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. This has been a wonderful conversation. I'm looking forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks Thank for, for having, having us on. We appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Educator podcast. To learn more about us, visit rebeleducator.com. 
where you can learn about our professional development opportunities for educators and students and see our project library. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, check out our progressive, inclusive elementary school, Up Academy, at upacademysf.com. We'd like to say a special thank you to Atmosphere for use of their audio track, Miho. Thanks again for joining us, and we wish you well no matter where your educational journey may lead. <laughs>